It's so good to, um, to be able to welcome you. My name's John T. Um, we love to gather like this on a Sunday. If this is your first time here, welcome. If it's your hundredth time, welcome. Um, we're going to turn to the life of Abraham one last time. Each of these pictures represents one of the kind of passages we've looked at, one of the sections we've looked at. So you'll see we've been doing this for quite a while. This represents kind of four months of our church life. We've invested quite a lot into understanding what the Bible teaches us about the life of Abraham. And what I thought we'd do today is try and take a bit of a a step back and say, what have we actually learned? Have we learned anything? What is it that God is teaching us as a church? Because we don't think the Bible is just information to interest us. We think it is the word of God to transform us. And therefore, it's right for us to be saying, what, what is it God is saying to us? What is it God has been challenging us with? So I'm going to share a few things. We're going to look at a few um, passages. I'm going to try and summarize some of the big um, things that we've seen. And if this is your first time here, welcome. You've saved yourself four months. You're going to get it all today, so uh, lucky you. Um, But as as I'm doing this, I would love for you to be thinking, what is it that God has been teaching you in recent months? What is it God has been showing you? Perhaps some of the things that we talk about now will help to... um, jog your memory, but perhaps there's other things that God has been teaching you. So we're going to, I'm going to talk a little bit from the Bible and show you some things, but then we are going to have a time at the end, if anyone wants to share something that God has been particularly speaking to them, then let's hear that. Because we're not a church that believes everything has to come through one person. I'm not the kind of the only mouthpiece of God in this church. We're supposed to speak to one another. We all have insight. We all have wisdom. God is speaking to all of us. And therefore, it's right that we speak to one another and have opportunity sometimes to do that. So we're going to have a chance towards the end of our service. Um, It may be that no one wants to say anything. That's fine. Um, But if you do, it would be great. It would really bless us as a church just to hear some of what God has been doing um, in our lives. So that's what's coming up. I warn you of that so that you can be thinking about it and asking if there's anything that God particularly has put on your heart to share. But why don't we pray, and then we're going to read a bit of Romans chapter 4, and then we're going to dive into the life of Abraham. Here we go. Father, please help us this afternoon. Would you give us expectant hearts this afternoon, that you might speak to us, that you might change us and challenge us and show us who you are and what it means to live as your people. Lord, please teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a Bible, can you turn to Romans chapter 4? We're going to start with this, but then we're going to kind of dive back into Romans, uh, into Genesis 12 and following. But let's just see how the New Testament picks up the life of Abraham. And he's mentioned everywhere. He's all over the place in the the New Testament. In fact, only Jesus, Peter, and Paul are mentioned more than Abraham in the New Testament. So he's a big deal, right? And here's one of the passages. Have a look at um, Romans chapter 4. And verse um, 19, sorry, 18, Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded 
that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. If you, if you want to know the, the, kind of the, the one thing that the New Testament again and again says about the life of Abraham, it's this. He teaches us what faith is. He teaches us what faith is. And I think faith is something we talk a lot about, but sometimes we can be a bit like, it can be a bit all over the place, a bit willy, you can't quite, quite grasp it, a bit like candy floss. It doesn't sort of, what is it? What is this thing called faith? And we sort of, we talk about faith and, you know, some of the pop songs say, you've got to have faith. And there's all this sort of stuff about faith that you're supposed to have, but we're like, well, what is it? And how do I know if I've got faith? And what does it feel like to have faith? And what does it look like? So that's what I thought we'd do in our final session with Abraham, we try and be really practical about what is faith, what does it look like in practice, and what would it look like in our lives as individuals and as a church. And we're going to race through four things about faith that I think we can pick up from the life of Abraham. And here's the first one. Faith rests on God's promises. Faith rests on God's promises. Now, in some ways, this is obvious, but I think this really matters because it helps us to see that what is going on when we talk about faith is not so much this thing called faith, this magical, weird thing called faith. What's that? Actually, faith is all about what it is resting on. That's the thing you should be bothered about. You see, faith only makes any sense at all unless there's something you've got faith in. Faith on its own doesn't make it. I've got faith. Great. Faith in what? It begs the question, what are you putting your hope in? I guess it's like, um, if I had a chair here, and it was a rubbish chair, it looked strong, but it was very weak. You might come up and you might say, I have complete faith in that chair. I have very strong faith. Then we go, wow, you are such an inspiration to us with your strong faith. And you, you talk about faith and you rally us all and you say, you should have faith like mine. I don't doubt this chair. I trust this chair completely. I will place all of my weight on this chair. And it sounds really impressive and it sounds really, really good. But the trouble is when you sit on the chair, it will collapse. Because strong faith in something that's not strong is useless. Okay, here comes someone else. This time, the chair is very strong. It's a really strong chair. But here comes someone, they say, I'm, a, I'm, I'm actually a little bit nervous. I've never really sat on a chair. This isn't a great illustration, by the way. This is, as I'm doing this, it's not quite working out how it was in my head. I've never really sat on a chair before. This is quite a new experience for me. I don't know, other people tell me it's going to work, but I don't, I don't know. I feel quite nervous. And eventually, you, you sit on the chair. The chair holds you. Because it's not your faith that holds you up. The strength of your faith makes no difference whatsoever. What holds you up is the strength of the chair. 
That is why over and over again, we've been banging on about these I wills that God promised Abraham. The I wills of God that stand the towering promises that God made. So back in Genesis chapter 12, let's remind ourselves of this. It all starts here. It doesn't start with Abraham. Abraham was off over here worshiping idols. He didn't know anything about God. He didn't know anything about um, worship or faith. He didn't know anything. He was busy worshiping idols, minding his own business, until the God, the creator God, came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to leave this place, and I want you to go to the land that I will show you, and I will bless you, and I will make you into a great nation. Well, here it is. I will make you into a great nation, Genesis 12, verse 2, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went. I will, I will, I will. And these promises, the strength of those promises are actually where faith starts and where faith rests and where faith ends. It's all about how strong the promises are. And these promises, they, they stand like monuments over history. It's like if you go and see Mount Rushmore, you see the four faces of carved into the rock. They stand there. And, and history comes and history goes. And these, these monuments stand firm. One day they'll crumble, but the promises of God will never crumble. And it all starts here. You see, sometimes I think we get very obsessed with, oh, I wish I had more faith. I feel so weak. I feel such a rubbish Christian. I feel like I've got such a weak faith. I feel like I'm always doubting. I'm always concerned. The question is, is your little bit of faith in the right place? That's what matters. But Jesus said this so bluntly. Jesus said, you can have faith as small as a mustard seed. And if you... If you not very good on seeds. That's small, right? It's not like a whacking great seed. It's a tiny, almost minuscule seed. And Jesus says, if you have tiny, tiny faith and you put it in the right place, you're secure. Because faith rests on God's promises. So I want to say to you this, morning, this afternoon, if you feel like your faith is so fragile, if you feel like you've got a tiny, tiny little speck of faith and that's all you've got, that's okay. It's okay if, as long as you put it in the right place. Because you place it in this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You put it in the, the promises of God and these promises will hold you up. Faith rests on God's promise. It's not about the quantity of faith that we have. It's about the quality of the promises God has made. Now, actually, what happens as you go on through life is that often we have times when our faith grows and our faith goes up and down and our, our confidence in those promises changes. And actually, it's good. It's good to increasingly trust God's promises. But I want to reassure you this afternoon that you will not be saved by how much faith you've got. You'll be saved 
by what you've put your faith in. Faith rests on the promises of God. Let me move on to the second thing because I want to keep us moving. Here's the second thing I think we learn from the life of Abraham. So yes, it all starts with God. He's the initiator. His promises are what draw faith out of Abraham. Here's the second thing. Faith connects to God's gift. Now, this is going to be the most technical, okay? I'm going to just stick with this. Okay, I, want to, I hope you'll see why this matters. If you've got Genesis um, open, flick over to Genesis 15. Because I want to pick out probably the verse that if you ask me what's the most important verse in all of this section of Genesis, Genesis 15 verse 6 is probably the verse. Because it's the verse that the, the New Testament keeps picking up and saying, this matters. So here's the verse. There's all these promises. Then it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Right, what does that, what does that actually mean? Abraham believed the Lord, that's faith, and he credited it to him as righteousness. I think there's a danger we get that verse wrong. This is why I want to just spend a couple of minutes talking about this, because it's important that we see this clearly. I think the danger is that we sort of say um, that Abraham, he's not righteous, okay, he's a sinner, he's done things wrong, he's been selfish, he's turned away from God, he used to worship idols, all this sort of stuff. He's a sinner, so he hasn't done enough to please God. But then when God made these promises, Abraham said, oh yes, I believe you. And I think the mistake we make is that God says, oh Abraham, that's great that you believe, well done. Tell you what we'll do, we'll take that and we'll call that your righteousness. I'll take that instead of the other, you know, I know you've messed up, but you've done this, so why don't we take that, that's really good, so we'll call that righteousness, and then you'll be okay with me. Does that make sense? I think that's the wrong way to see it. So it'd be like saying, um, it'd be like saying, you know, you borrow my car and you smash it up. (laughs) Um, You owe me a car now because I lent it to you and you smashed it up. But you can't afford to pay me a car. And so you get together all that you've got, your most expensive things you've got, your, you know, your your most expensive jewelry and stuff, and you come and say, John, I haven't got a car, but I'll give you this. It's nowhere near worth a car. And I say, look, that's great. I'll tell you what we'll do, because that really shows that you're trying. I'll credit that as a car. I'll write off the car, and I'll say, that's fine. I'll accept that. And, and what happens is we begin to think that faith is what earns us righteousness. This is what I'm trying to get to. This is a simpler way of saying it. Faith is what means we deserve for God to give us righteousness. And so we begin to think, my faith is what has made me a Christian. It's what has pleased God. God's pleased with me because I believe in him. All of that to say, that's not, I think, what Genesis 15 verse 6 is saying. It's actually more spectacular than that. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. I have a hunch that before Jesus came, 
that verse was completely baffling to people. They'd have been like, what on earth does that mean, really? How can God credit right? What does that mean? And I think it's only when Jesus comes that suddenly you begin to see, oh, that's what it means. Because what it means is that righteousness is a gift. It is a credit that God gives. It is not something you earn, not by your works, not by your faith. It is not something you earn. It is something he gives you. And faith is the means of connecting you with that gift. It's not what earns you the gift, because you don't earn a gift. It's what connects you. Okay, let me um, try and, and pu- push into this. Uh, if you've got, sorry, we're jumping back to Romans 4, but let me just show you. This is, I hope you can see in Romans 4 why this really matters. Listen to Romans 4 verse 1. So here's, here's Paul in the book of Romans. He's trying to explain what Jesus has done when he died on the cross. He said, what should we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Abraham did not work. He did not deserve righteousness. He didn't earn it. There was nothing about Abraham that God said, oh, well done, now I'll give you righteousness. It was a gift that was completely undeserved. I think this is incredibly difficult to illustrate, but I'm going to try. And we all know how that goes. So, let's see how this works. Imagine I had a fence. A good opening line. I don't have a fence, um, but imagine I did. And it was quite a big fence. And I said to you, when I come back at the end of the day, if this fence is painted, I will give you a thousand pounds. It's quite a fair deal. You go, fair deal. Now, you've got one of two options. If you work hard and paint that fence, I come back at the end of the day, and what do I do? I give you a thousand pounds. You don't say to me, oh, thanks for the gift. You say, I'm getting what I earn. Right? Option one. Okay, supposing instead you said, I don't want to paint the fence. I'm quite tired. I'm going to enjoy the sun. You lie in the sun. You have a barbecue. You invite some mates over. You drink cocktails. You have a happy day. You get a little pool, a little hot tub, and you have a fun time. You just enjoy yourself. You ignore the request I made of you, and you just have a happy time. The fence is not painted. But imagine I come home, and I discover the fence isn't painted. And I work through the night painting that fence. And in the morning, I come to you, and I give you a 1,000 pounds. You'd say, no, no, no. Um, I I didn't paint the fence. I don't deserve that. 
And I'd say, no, no, the, the fence is painted. And what I said to you was, if I come back and the fence is painted, I'll give you a thousand pounds. The fence is painted, you get your thousand pounds. But I, 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 I didn't paint it. Now you're feeling slightly uncomfortable, right? I didn't paint it. He said, no, but the fence is painted. It's been painted for you, and here's your thousand pounds. Now, faith at that point is saying, thank you. And as you take the thousand pounds, my work of painting the fence is credited to you. It becomes yours. It's as if you've done it. And you receive the blessing. But faith is not a work that's earned you the thousand pounds. Faith is just accepting it. It's believing it. It's being humble enough to say, okay. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And what's all this got to do with painting fences? Right, stick with this, okay? Honestly, I know it's warm, uh, but stick with this. God demands of me a perfect fence. He says, John T., if you paint a perfect fence in your life, I will give you life forever. I will give you eternal life. I, however, choose to live my life doing my own thing, ignoring the fence God has asked me to paint, having a happy time building my own career, having a happy life, having a laugh, you know, doing whatever I want. I do not paint the fence. Do not love God. I do not love neighbor. I do not love like I should. Here I am having a happy life. So the, pen, the fence is unpainted, but here comes Jesus into this world, and Jesus paints the fence perfectly. He lives the life that is perfect, the righteousness that is perfect. He does it perfectly. And then God comes to me, and he says, the fence is painted, well done. And I go, whoa, I didn't paint the fence. And God says, I know you didn't, but someone's painted it for you. And then the question is, will I receive the gift that Jesus has won for me? And if I say to God, thank you, then that perfect fence becomes mine. Right? If you want the posh name for this, it's imputation. Christ's righteousness, his perfection is imputed to me. It becomes mine. It is counted as mine. And the way that I get it is by connecting by faith, by saying thank you. But you would be a complete idiot if you went, hey, look at my faith. <laughs> I'm awesome. The only response to faith is, but I, I didn't paint the fence. I don't deserve this. I deserve to be punished, not rewarded. Jesus, you painted it for me. Which is why Paul can say in Romans, you cannot boast. There is no boasting. If faith leads you to boasting, you've got it wrong. There's no way to be proud. All of this to say, It is a gift that God gives you, offers you now. If you know that your fence is a bit ropey, if you know that your life is a bit shabby, if you know that you have not lived the way that you should, here is the 
Here is what God says. Believe my promise. Believe what Jesus has done. And I will give you perfect righteousness. It's a gift. That's why I think when Abraham, when this was, happened in Genesis 15, I think they'd have scratched their heads and gone, how on earth does this work? <laughs> and it's only when Jesus comes that you go, ah, oh, you see? There's the perfect fence that becomes my fence. I want, we need to understand that faith connects us to this most precious of gifts. Even if faith is small as a mustard seed, it connects you to righteousness. But we need to crack on here. Third thing. Faith waits for God's timing. Okay, now we're going to get a little bit more practical because we've got to push, drive down into this. We've seen this kind of high-level stuff. It connects us to this gift. It's the only way to be connected. But, but it waits for God's timing. Five times in Genesis, we're told how old Abraham was. Do you know how old Abraham was the first time we meet Abraham? 75. In Genesis 12, he's 75 years old when God first calls him. Anyone here 75? No. Even Trevor's not 75. <laughs> Nearly. But let that strike you for a second. God doesn't start to deal with Abraham till he's older than Trevor. <laughs> Trevor's not even here. We miss you, Trev and Val. Praying for you. But you see, it's funny, isn't it? We're so obsessed with being young. We're so obsessed with everything happening. Now, 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 now. God doesn't start with Abraham until he's 75. So we're told he's 75. Then that's when God makes these great promises of I will. And then 11 years go by, and then we're told he's 86. Some stuff happens in between. That's the stuff with Lot, and they're choosing the land and stuff. But in, by the time he's 86, that's 11 years have gone by, and nothing's happened. These promises that God made, there's no child, and there's no land. And 11 years go by, and Abraham suddenly takes things into his own hands. This was the dark chapter 16, the horrible account of Hagar, the, the tragedy when Abraham got it all wrong. When his faith tried to take it into his own hands, he said, I don't trust your timing. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. And it all went right. It made such a mess. Eleven years went by. And God said to Abraham, no, it's not that way. We will do it my way and my timing. The next time we're told how old he is, he's 99. That's, in, that's another 13 years that's gone by. These are long periods of time, right? He's 99 when God comes, comes to him and says, right, in one year's time, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Then we're told he's 100. That's when he has his son. Now, the reason I say that is because I think sometimes we don't understand the sort of time scale God operates on. Faith waits for God's timing. Faith is about letting God be God and trusting him. You see, most of us, by nature, we want to force things. We want to make things happen. We don't like waiting. We don't like delay. We want it to happen now. Come on. We're wasting time. 
And yet, as I read through the Bible, there's all sorts of moments where people just seem to be left wasting time. Joseph spends two years in, no, two years, yeah, two years in prison. Can you imagine how frustrating that was? Paul, again and again, finds himself in prison. People find themselves in these situations where nothing's happening, and it's so easy to say, God, have you forgotten me? What's going on? Come on, let's do this. And God says, no, trust my time. And maybe that's something that some of us here today need to learn. There's something that you're waiting for. There's something you're longing for, and you want to force it. You want, you, you, you want to push it, and, and you, you're tempted to, to do things you know aren't right because you hope that they might get you the thing that you're wanting. And God says, no, you've got to trust me. You've got to wait for my timing. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. That's hard. But actually, as we wait for God's timing, God makes things beautiful. There's a great verse in Ecclesiastes 3 that says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. There is a time for everything, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. There's a time for everything. And we need to learn to trust God's timing. Now, that doesn't mean we do nothing. It doesn't mean we sit around. We'll see that in a second. But it does mean that we trust him. And we reject the temptation to take things through our own hands and to step out and say, well, I know God says this is wrong, but I want it anyway. It ends in disaster. It ends in a mess. That's what we've seen in the life of Abraham. And so Abraham's family becomes this divided, dysfunctional, broken family. Devastating. Because Abraham failed to trust God's timing. And for many of us, that may be the situation we're in right now. We're in a painful place. We're in a place of confusion. We're in a place of doubt. We're in a place of struggle. And perhaps this afternoon, what God is particularly saying to you is, my precious child, trust me. I've given you righteousness. Your fence is perfect. I've given you this gift. You can trust me. But trust me. And trust God's timing. I think that's a tough thing for us to learn. And of course, in, in God's perfect timing, there's a, there's a great verse in Galatians that says, at just the right time, Jesus came. Jesus didn't come too early, didn't come too late. God does everything at just the right time. And when you look back over your life, and although it seems a mess, when you look back on your life from the other side of eternity, you will say, yeah, God, you did everything in its right time. Sometimes it feels like God is too slow, doesn't it? But he's not slow. He's teaching us to trust him, and he's doing what is good. And here's the final thing. Faith acts. It doesn't fit the others. Like, it was such a great sermon. All the points kind of lined up nicely. And this one didn't, it just, faith acts, it does stuff. So although faith waits, doesn't mean it doesn't do anything, faith gets on and does stuff. And you see that most clearly in, in the life of Abraham, when, when Abraham is willing even to sacrifice his own son. We saw this a few weeks ago. Faith steps out, it says, I, I will do this, I'll trust you. 
Faith isn't about sitting around doing nothing. It's not about sitting around in a church building going, oh, let's have faith. We've just got to have faith. Faith is about doing stuff. It's about stepping out. It's about sitting on the chair. It's about going out and painting the faith. Whatever, all these illustrations. Let's go, right? We do stuff. It's saying, because I trust you, I will go. Because I trust you, I will speak. Because I trust you, I'll take this risk. And so faith is risk-taking. This is like, I don't know when was the last time you got an adrenaline rush from being a Christian. Right? When was the last time? You know, we seek out adrenaline rushes all the time, right? That's why extreme sports are fun, aren't they? <laughs> For some people. You want something that gets your adrenaline pumping, something that feels risky, something that feels like a, a step out into the unknown. But imagine someone said to you, I, I want to do a bungee jump. I'd love to do a bungee jump, but I just want it to be safe. So can we just lower it a bit? Six foot, that'll do. And let's have a crash mat, three-foot crash mat. That'd be lovely. And then as I jump off the thing into a three-foot crash mat, you're all going to say, that's boring. Boring. Why is it boring? Because you've removed all the risk. Why is it that so often being a Christian feels dull? Because we've removed all the risk, and faith takes risks. I tell you this, when Abraham went up the mountain to sacrifice his son, there is no way that he was going, well, this is dull. What a boring thing it is to be a Christian. Abraham's heart was pounding as he took this step to sacrifice his son because he trusted that God was able to do what he had promised to do. Can you imagine what would happen if we were a church who didn't play it safe, who took risky decisions? Risky decisions with what we were going to do with our lives. Risky decisions around our careers, what we did with our money, the way we acted in the office, the way we responded to other students, the way we acted, the things we did. We did things that make our hearts beat a little faster. That's what faith does. Faith acts. Takes risks. So there's a bunch of stuff that I think we've seen from the life of Abraham. Faith rests on God's promise. It all starts and ends with God's promise. It connects us to God's gift of righteousness. It waits for God's timing, and then it takes risky acts. It does stuff. So I'm going to lead us in prayer, and um, I'm going to pray that God would help us to be a church of faith, that faith is something that God would grow in us. He'd give it to us. It's not something that we have to generate. It's something that he gives us as we live, trusting him. So let's pray, and then we're going to sing, and then we'll have a bit of time for anyone who would like to. We've got some time today, um, deliberately, so that we can share some stuff, if anyone would like to, and then we'll, we'll sing. But let's take some time to ask God to do things in us. Um, Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're the God of I will, the God who makes these monumental promises, promises that stand over human history, promises that have not changed or been broken promises that are utterly reliable, promises that we can stake our lives on, promises that you will bless us, 
that you have a future for us, that you have a plan and a purpose, that you know what you're doing. Father, we pray, please, that you would help us to live by faith. And perhaps even this afternoon, our faith feels tiny. Lord, we want to put that tiny little bit of faith in you today, in your gift of righteousness, in your perfect timing, in you, the one that we can trust with everything. Even as we sing this afternoon, and as we spend some time responding together, would you put your finger on areas of our lives where we need to change? Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and put your finger on areas of our lives where you're asking us and you're calling us to step out in faith. Please come and work among us, Father, we pray. And perhaps there are some here this afternoon and we, we haven't put our faith in you. We've put our faith elsewhere. Lord, help us this afternoon to see that you are the only safe place, the strong one, the one who will give us righteousness, give us this right relationship with you that we desperately need. Lord, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.